Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as fun as they can be. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony. Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? <laughs> yeah, it's Dave. Hello. Clearly, by our podcast, no. Old acquaintances are never forgotten. Old characters are never forgotten. Old games are never forgotten. They are talked about to infinity and beyond. <laughs> that is right. And Dave, that is a great lead into this episode. So this is going to be our New Year's episode. Thank you for uh, being patient with our Christmas break, taking that week off there. So we're back just in the new year. And today we're going to talk about you know, what was our 2020 like? Obviously, everyone's 2020 was a little bit weird. So we're going to talk about how was our... Yeah, COVID. Uh, we're going to talk about how our 2020 went, the, the, the games we did what we remember, what we learned, and then what we are resolving to do in 2021. So, off the new episode and the new year and the new season, take a look at our new sh our new logo. We much we look much spiffier this year, much more of a of an urban fantasy kind of Dresden Files look. We That's how we actually look upon ourselves in this. Absolutely. We are Very all great. exactly that thin and young and very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can release as a as an additional gift for the new year a picture of all of us together and just like hey this is who we are <laughs> we could do that maybe or, or we could start Twitch stream streaming you just want everyone to see the stream live when oh, we God. put it please don't we could do, do it. We could do it. That's probably getting a little off topic. We'll take that back behind the scenes here, behind the wonderful anonymity of podcasting. So. As far as the year that was, though, 2020, let's see, what did we do this year? Like, what what, what really defined the year? I mean, for me, I, uh, you know, we started all these games. Almost every, you know, we had the two games coming into the year, I think, and then almost all these other games, Storm King Thunder, Curse of Strahd, the podcast, we did all this stuff in 2020. I mean, it was a really busy year. Yeah, I think it was, it was, it was terrible and great in some ways. Uh, a lot of things happened that were bad with COVID, right? The, the whole world has been drastically affected by it. Um, but there were a, a lot of kind of positives that I saw across the board from a lot of me, my friends. I mean, we started this podcast uh, and we really were able to, to, to give the time to it uh, that we may or may not have had if, if life was going at 100 miles an hour like it had been previously. Right. To really get it off the, you know, uh, get the, 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 the car moving, you know, uh, in those first days. Um, and then in terms of our gaming, like I, I've never gamed so much in my life. As we've been <laughs> well, doing I can't say that. Bit. That's not true. Right. No, I mean, I know you guys like from back in the day, especially you'd be playing multiple times a week. Right. When you're when you're teenagers. Up. But we've been gaming a lot, man. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's true. I don't know if we would have been able to do this much gaming. We we had talked about we planned the podcast before COVID. Yeah, and a little yeah. little behind the scenes info. Like the first week we were going to record the first episode together in a room. We had planned it out. We had the audio equipment and everything. Well, that was the week COVID hit. That was the yeah. week we had to stop doing everything. That was like the first week of lockdown. So like COVID and the launch of the podcast really like pushed us back like three months. Um, but we got it together. You know, we figured out how to use the online tools. And I would argue that in some ways these are more effective even. I think we have a better sound quality here than we had that we were going to have in the room with Very the cavernous in the room. Yeah. 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 We have less of an echo. And then the gaming wise, I mean, we were, everyone was stuck at home. Everyone wanted to play. Uh, 
unfortunately, on the flip side, some people were not able to make the jump to leap to roll 20. They didn't enjoy it or they never got on it or they didn't know how to, they didn't have it kind of the computers to do it. But for those of us who did, we're gaming more than, yeah. I mean, not maybe more than ever before, because, you know, when you're in a dorm room with your roommate and you both play D&D and a couple of your friends play D&D, you can play a lot of D&D. <laughs> you know, when it comes down to, well, I got to study or or hear me out. You could roll initiative. Well, <laughs> and let's say in current times, in yeah. current times, uh, we're, we're gaming a lot. Yeah, no, that, that is really an understatement. Uh, my uh, my game I was in the beginning of the year was Thorns, and we were playing once a month. We only, I, I don't think we ever, we played like one, I think we played one game in 2020. We only played once since last Christmas. It had to be the one game we played in 2020. Well, the, the point is I was in one campaign and we were getting, we were slated for monthly meetings yeah. and that was it. But I mean, back when I was a teenager, um, like there was times we'd play like three, four nights a week consistently. Like that was nothing. But now I'm in what three campaigns, maybe four, and we're doing the podcast. This would have never been possible. Yeah. I mean, without this. So there are. I agree with Dave. There are some good spots in this uh, dumpster fire of a year. <laughs> and you know, it's you know, the online tools really let you get on and play with you know anyone anyone who's okay with them. As much as they have foibles, as much as I don't love playing online, I would much rather be playing in person around the table. You know, it, it makes it super accessible. It's just you know you, you you log on, you play a game for a few hours, you log back off, you go on what you want to do. You, it's it's a much easier in and out kind of experience. As a player, it's super easy. I mean, you're responsible for a token. You have a character sheet on there. What do you do? Oh, I don't know how that check works. Don't worry about it. If it's entered correctly, click it. Oh, it did the check for me. Fantastic. <laughs> I just made an unearthly strength check, you know? Like, I don't know. Um, which is just fantastic in and of itself. It's very interactive, and it opens up a new dimension uh, that we didn't have. In theater of the mind, you go like, oh, I'm in a town, and there's houses. When I'm, like, in Dave's Ravenloft, you see every house. Like, we were playing this Christmas game last night. I'm looking at the legend. And I'm like, ha, huh, let's go to 14A. You know, you can do that. <laughs> Dave, what's in 14A? And that really puts a D yeah, on his heels. Absolutely. It's a crap going through his notes. The, um, <laughs> I think you can, if we went back and listened to episode two, which is when we kind of talked about the jump to roll 20, in essence. Uh, yeah. I, it would. It might be an interesting archaeological dig to see how it's shifted and changed, and also how it stayed the same since then. Since we've been doing only uh, online gaming, and like Tony said, I think there's massive uh, benefits to it. There are absolutely some cons, um, but it definitely allows technology in the same way that I think we're seeing now with like education and learning because people yeah. are forced to. So what we're going to be able to do going forward, uh, even with in-person gaming, but, you know, especially virtual tabletop stuff, you see those tables people are always building with literally the flat screen in it, and you have your map that you're rolling from your VTT. I think it'll be really interesting to see, but it also allows you to, uh, the Storm Kings game, we're probably all separated by, I don't know, 40 miles maybe, right? Oh, I know yeah. Scott and Amber are way out there, and they had said- we might never be able to to do an in-person game. So, well, that group is screwed then, right? So the the Roll20 allows us to finish out this campaign, you know, which I, which I think is really cool. I mean, that's a situation where, like, if we were playing in person, I think what we would have to do is the three of us caravan up to their place. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, because yeah. we did that. We have, we have uh, one of my buddies, Jer, is up in Allentown, which isn't far from where they are. And it's just the same hike. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a couple hours, mm-hmm. over like an hour and a half plus up there and back. And you can do it. It's just, oh, it's, sure. it's, it's it's hard to make the time for it week by week or even for a bi-weekly game. So this lets you get, lets you pull all those friends in from all, I mean, one of the games, isn't your brother, uh, Dave, your brother, Mike, he's not local, is he? Uh, Matt? Matt. Matt, Matt, yeah, no, he's over. I'm like, does he have a brother? I'm sorry. Hey, your brother Matt, he's not local, is he? No. They are in Doylestown now. Uh, But he was in California for a little while. And we were actually, we weren't doing the Roll20 with him, but we were running the text uh, uh, play-by-post with the adventures of the brothers Chen and Nampashima, which is still kind of in and out. It's kind of, it's there, but it's not, you know, because now Matt, he's back, so he's able to kind of dial in with with the Marvel campaign. You know that Chris is running, so absolutely, that's been a good one. You know, came into this year with three campaigns that were in-person games. You know, yeah, Dave, you had the one you were DMing with the two I was DMing. Yeah, and you know, COVID hit. We had to jump to roll twenty. Only one of those campaigns actually made the jump to roll twenty. Yeah, like the other two kind of they didn't. Uh, one of them got so far. Was the players were just like some of the players was like, yeah, I'm not interested in doing this on roll twenty done and the other one it was like we were going to and half the players didn't you know it, it was it was a connect not a connectivity issue but getting everyone on to roll 20 no one had used it before yeah and getting them on and so we kind of just hit like the speed bump of half the people didn't show up for the for, for kind of the session the roll 20 session zero so okay well, what was kind of great with that in a way i think especially as as running a game uh was at session zero i said well would you guys want to just start a party with with who's on right now and that's yeah. what we started with curse of strahd and we brought tone in and bonnie's mom beth i have had been having a, an amazing time uh running the ravenloft setting so so i think it actually was kind of nice because it gave a break for slavers bay and it, yeah. it let me go into something totally different i would really like to get back to slavers bay at some point though i liked the setting i liked what you were doing i thought you were, it was really cool and, you know, and you had this really interesting political kind of campaign where, you know, yeah. we have these this this slaving infernal empire we're a part of that well we're slaves of, and then we're we're sent out to this border town the tribe that they're trying to take over. But we find out there's other things also trying to take over the border town. And like everything's gray. It was a lot of fun. You know, caused a lot oh, of good I was, play. I was enjoying it very much. But what I'm looking at when I like when we when we do get back to it because I I don't see it being an if but a when with what I've been learning with this intensive <laughs> workshopping of D&D between playing a ton and running a ton, I'm going to come back into that. Like with, you know, I've been working out now for the last year. Right. So I'm coming in hot. Right. So I, I'd like to see how that affects my, my homebrew world. I, I bet it's going to have a great effect. Now I'm, I also miss my character in that. That was my, uh, we had a yeah. really cool, that was Hannibal, the the cannibal moon druid, and he was coming together as a really interesting, fun character to play. And, no, it was a great party. And so we we came back, and you know those two fell by the wayside. The slave uh, Wand- Woodstock Wanderers kind of drug it across. We lost a player. I mean, so the skip from real life in person gaming to online gaming was not without you know casualties. I mean, every game at least lost a player, and every game that made the jump from in person to to online. You know, ran into some, even the one that made it had some, ran into some serious bumps as far as play speed and kind of making things work the way, the way we used to. But then we launched these, you know, we launched, you know, you launched Curse of Strahd, Tony, you launched, you know, Storm King Thunder. Um, yeah, we, we launched, you know, Chris, uh, Dave's brother launches the Marvel game. And now we're playing, I mean, for a while we were basically playing, you know, uh, six games a month. 
like six games every four weeks is what we were doing. Yeah, because yeah, we were playing weekly, and then some of those weeks would be uh, a sandwich in the weekend. It would be D&D yeah. weekend. Yeah. Well, I guess so. I guess Tony wasn't playing six times a week, but me and Dave yeah. we were playing because we had a game every Friday and then just, every rub, other Sunday. just rub salt in his wounds, Thorin. <laughs> he's he's welcome to come in. In fact, I have finally, finally drafted Erasmus back into the Woodstock Wanderers for the Christmas game we had. Then maybe he sticks around for a little bit since that is his home world and all. Actually, I got to tell you, I think are we going to talk about the Christmas game since we've been through three of them now? I think we should. It means that those are some of our experiences from 2020 and something we just learned about. So. All three of our games did a Christmas game. I, I guess all, I'm sorry, all four of our games. No, three of the four did yeah. a Christmas game. Lead, I'm sorry, <laughs> leading no, into correct. Christmas. Yeah, we, we wanted to do all four, and then we just had some some player schedules. issues with the fourth one. Yeah, um, this get yeah some scheduling issues that everyone gets busy at, at, at Christmas. So, what do you guys think of them? I mean, we we had done an episode about holiday gaming before. We did we did an article about it. Yeah, How did the Christmas yeah. games go? I gotta tell you, I felt this put me more in the Christmas spirit than any Jimmy Durandy songs that I had heard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I got to enjoy three fantastic Christmas games. It was such a treat. And the biggest treat is I didn't have to DM any of them. My my Christmas game is gonna be like somewhere around Valentine's Day at the rate we're going. But, no, um, you did run the Halloween game for Storm Kings, which was also yes. super awesome. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That I have to tell you, all three Christmas games hit the notes. You had the theme. Um, it wasn't too plot heavy. We transitioned. We did a lot of seasonal based things, whether we're fighting Frost the Snowman, we're getting gifts from Santa or saving Santa. It was all fun any one of those could have been a christmas tv special thoroughly enjoyed them <laughs> and yeah, i i agree it absolutely was the holiday special of your favorite tv show that you're watching yeah. right yeah oh, absolutely i mean what do we do we we now first of all we just i gotta say I, I agree with dave this started with the halloween game you put on tony with yeah. the uh you know the, the halloween game where in the end we all put on avengers costumes to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it was so good. Like it started real Scooby Dooish almost because we all came in with like these weird disguises and stuff, and I just felt like it was like the Scooby Doo version of like Vincent Price and things like that, you know. We yeah. wound up finding the fighting the last boss monster as the Avengers, as yeah. as different as and, and fighting the, the ourselves. The elephant brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was awesome. Yeah. By the way, point. player tip: if you really want to hurt your party and attack their intelligence, nobody's ready for that. No one has <laughs> any defenses against that. It's fifth edition intelligence is the dump stat, except for some nerdy wizard, right? Uh, Tony had definitely you kicked it off with the Halloween, and then I remember Tony, you asked me if I was planning on running a holiday game for Strahd, and I was like, Nah, I'm not gonna like the whole setting and tone was just like. It's dark and gothic and vampires and stuff. And I'm like, nah, I'm gonna leave that to everyone else. You found and a then, good answer for that. Yeah, and then I, and then we play Woodstock, where we're, you know, we get transported and we have to. Uh, Santa is there, but we uh, Krampus is is starting to attack and, and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, and it was an awesome time. It was super fun. Uh, it hit all the different like you know holiday themed things. And then Chris even ran kind of, I think he just, I, what I feel is like he just could have put a veneer of Christmas over probably what we were going to have to kind of do during that portion of the adventure anyway. 
uh, in the Marvel game, but he turned it into this whole Christmas Carol kind of having to go through the past and present yeah. and future and all that. So at that point, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm running a holiday game. And I I was so excited when I was putting it together uh, that I'm actually thinking I want to try to figure out how I can try to maybe get it up on the website at some point uh, for anyone else to like kind of play. Um, yeah, a lot of it's going to be like copyright material because like like spoilers here, I used um, all of the stuff from uh, Nosferatu, the TV show and book series from Joe Hill uh, about Christmas Land and Charlie Manx because hello, he's a vampire. So, but I had such fun putting it together, and then like it, I I I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty a pretty cool note. It was for, it was for the perfect. campaign so far. I mean, because and we had also so we had already we had my game, which was a kind kind of classic, you know, frosty and you know, giant frosty the snowman and Krampuses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we it was just just very. You teleported to Christmas Village. The elves have been kidnapped by Krampuses. You track them down. You find a giant frosty the snowman who tries to kill you. There we go. Uh, yeah, and, and at the end, every everyone in the party had to sit on Santa's lap and oh, tell him what they wanted for Christmas. Thorin, no, that I forget. That was um, I watched that and I was awestruck because so what Thorin did was right at the end of it, right? Is usually like I already had the gifts that I was going to be given to my players out. I had kind of said, "Ooh, these are cool things." Here, Merry Christmas, boom, 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 done. What Thorin did was when we so we beat Frosty and we beat the Krampuses and all this kind of stuff. And Santa comes, his big throne appears, and he we all have to sit on his lap and tell him what we want. And Thorne doesn't necessarily know exactly what we're going to say. So he might have some ideas, but he's literally rolling on the fly with what the player is saying. Oh, I want this for Christmas. And here's your gift. Here's your gift. There were only, I think, two that threw him for about five minutes. And then he had it. And I was just like, wow, that is some level of improv that is is astounding. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Your, your balls must weigh 40 pounds each because I would never <laughs> yeah, do that. Literally, yeah, have a player say like, oh, I want this insane, ridiculous idea. Wow, how do I turn that into a fucking magic item that doesn't break my game, right? Well, and the, the thing is, for the most part, what you're doing is you're fitting in things um, – and the first of all, thank you guys. Yeah, that was it. it that, uh, I do like to improv, and that is kind of that was that was uh, you know, there's always in my wheelhouse there. That, that's something I feel like I'm pretty good with. One of the tricks is when you get when you're going to ask uh, players what they want for Christmas and ad lib gifts, someone's going to ask, going to say they want world peace, so I have an answer for it. And like, cause I already knew, I knew someone's going to say world peace, and I knew it was going to be like a like kind of a, a take on the um, pipes of haunting that's like a flute of calming. So, okay, there you go, yeah. makes peace. <laughs> That one was easy. Some of the other ones were hard. Oddly, the hardest one was I wanted one of the characters wanted something shiny, and I'm like, there's got to be like a shimmering helm or something, right? And the only thing really was the uh, yeah, which is a little out of the range. But what I did is I dialed down the number of gems on it to try to because powerful. It is. Oh, it is. is. But I actually like. I mean, there's like single digit gems of all all the types of gems, so it's not you know it's limited use. This is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it's not like it hangs out forever. I think both of the things that were kind of like because mostly we're in kind of a rare and under portion of the campaign. Two of the items wind up being very rare, but I believe they're very limited usage. Like you have a set number of times you can use to set it out of the campaign. And with the helm of brilliance, you know, it might blow up. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, yeah, actually, uh, in the previous editions. The Helm of Brilliance was very powerful, but you're literally wearing a bomb on your head. And in my second edition campaign, I believe they killed a gargantuan fire-breathing lizard. 
by throwing it in his mouth. And it's like, okay, let's start adding up gems. This is like a factor 19 explosion. What does that mean? Uh, you have a mushroom cloud on your hands. That's what that means. It, we did that in the uh, we did that in the game with Nort with Nort Spillslinger. Yes, we did that. With, Godzilla's uh, head off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, rubber well, dinosaur this, bits everywhere. It still is. In fifth edition, it still is a bomb on your head. If you are hit by magical fire while you're wearing the crown and you fail your saving throw, you roll a 20 out of die. And if it comes up one, the crown blows up. Everyone's got to make a DC 17 saving. Like everyone within like 60 feet has to make a DC 17 saving throw where they get nailed with a lot of damage. So it's still, yeah, it's still that thing. It is still definitely dangerous wearing the helmet brilliance. So, you know, what's the, I love that line from Terry Pratchett the, from, from the Hogfather. You know, he gives the kid a sword, but that's not safe. It's not meant to be safe. What if she blows up? Well, then that will be a valuable lesson. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about about this. It was a lot of fun. So, yes, yeah, so that would be if, if I can give anyone one tip, if you're going to do something like that or just have the players ask for gifts and give them things, think of the obvious stuff and kind of figure out how you want to handle it. Because, I mean, if someone's going to ask for world peace, someone's going to ask for harmony or love or some other weird kind of concept. And you probably want to know where you want to go with that. that, that that's, that's the improv tip of the day. You know, yeah, I recognize that that's probably someone's going to throw one of those things in at you. Just have an answer. They're out there. So yeah, I will add to it too. It was also not just that you were able to do that, but I remember being kind of like, wow, that that's impressive when uh, it was the crown that I think you gave. Oh, the crown of change alignment. <laughs> that you had given to Sir Morton. But what you did was, it was also your description too, which I'm sure is just because over the years, you have certain things in the back of your mind, just narratively speaking, descriptively. But when you said, oh, well, there's this crown, because he wants to be able to still turn Brother Maynard if he ever comes to him or whatever, right? So you give him a crown of change of life and you you describe it as this interlocking piece of gold and lead being gold the most precious and lead being the most base. and. This just descriptive aspect of it that I actually brought into my game, where when I had all the items that I decided that uh, Wotan was going to give you, so my 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 Santa was was Odin in my world, um, and much more like the Wild Hunt style, like not about like you know, kids and gifts, more about like you know honor and dishonor. But um, <laughs> which I, love. I actually. I worked the descriptions to make it a little more like something that's unique, not just, oh, here's a cloak of protection. Oh, here's a stamp of healing. Oh, here's a, but a, oh, here's like, and this is what it looks like and why it, you know, so I brought that, that additional descriptive and I had that in the back of my mind because of that, you know. Thank you. And, you know, I liked the way you did the Odin, you know, I mean, that was a, that was a cool different take on Santa Claus than, than anyone else had really done. And you went really deep into that lore and kind of, he's on the wild hunt, you know, it's the midwinter wild hunt celebration. They might come rampaging and destroy your, and destroy your Christmas village. If they don't, if they, if you've been, you know, using it to siphon life force from young children, Mr. Mr. Manx. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cause it didn't, a Santa one doesn't really work for my, the world because even though I'm running Barovia, um, it still exists in the world that Slavers Bay exists in. Mm-hmm. And in essence, every every game I run or every campaign, I'm kind of building into that big world that I have that Slavers Bay also exists in. They're just different areas of the globe, kind of like what you're doing with Woodstock and the other game. Um, so I wanted to build something off of the pantheon that I already had. And mm-hmm. Wotan being one of them. So I said, oh, there you go. You know, the original Yule and all of that. So do you know about the Yule Lads? The Yule Lads. 
Yeah. I don't think so. So no. if you want to go in that direction. So there's a lot of like the Yule cat comes from Icelandic mythology. I saw the that. Yule, yeah. The Yule lads do as well. They're all they're all children of Grilla. Yeah, she's kind of like a Baba, like a Baba Yaga type of figure. She is the demigod, you know, evil, ugly witch who wants to eat your children. And the Yule lads and the Yule cat, the Yule cats are cat. The Yule lads are her children. And they all do mischief around the holidays. And they also give gifts. Like the Yule lads give gifts. The Yule cat doesn't. The Yule cat just... Yeah, I suppose leaves very nasty hairballs after eating your children. Um, but they all kind of, they're all these kind of double-edged things that really align well with the wild hunt kind of aspect that you took from this. That, that yeah, like it's not, like, it's not all just goody gun drops and, and rosy cheeks. Like there's a darkness and a fierceness yeah. to it that I, you know, that I thought just fit in with the whole Ravenloft setting and Strahd and, and that. Yeah. And as my characters very quickly deduced um i was playing a bit of a scouting game because i was able to throw a lesser powered i wouldn't throw strawn at them but i threw a lesser powered vampire at them along with some other things and i wanted to see what does this look like you know so that your epic fight is not just this one two punch and oh well that was really anticlimactic so it gave me a scouting thing but what it also gave was the players the ability to now see Oh, we're fighting a real vampire now. What does that look like? So it, it went both ways, and I thought that was also a cool way to, uh, as a foreshadow, you know, as a way to kind of pl to have a, a practice run almost, right? <laughs> I mean, so this was, we should probably set the scene a little more. Basically, the players from the Curse of Strahd game were pulled into a wintry wonderland kind of setting. Literally Wonderland. That turned out to be uh, Christmas Village from the AMC show and from the Joe Hill book Nosferatu. Yeah. And in those books, M Charlie Manx is a, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> but Charlie Manx is a vampire. But what he does is he basically kind of kidnaps children. He's like a... Um, it kind of lures children away like a Snow Queen kind of character who brings them to the Christmas village where he slowly drains their life force. Yeah. Uh, and, and this was we got to the Christmas village and we had the opportunity to one, get trapped there and pay a lot of life force to play some games and buy some toys and to and to go on some rides that tried to kill us and then uh, fight Charlie Max. And so that was the setup. So so basically it was a whole Christmas Wonderland thing, literally Wonderland because like a theme park. Like it's like it was all like a and I really it was really cool. And he had this great map of it, which I guess does that come with the book? Was that actually the no, map? That, from? I don't, I'm guessing it was. So I was just going on Google and I was I had the idea of what I wanted, but I found that map with the legend on it. And if we we'll have to figure out if there's a way that we can somehow uh, share that by giving something because I really want to be able to show people what this is because I think people that run Strahd would really dig this. But regardless, but there was a whole drawing of Christmas land with a legend of what all of these things were. So all I had to do was I pulled up this map and I go, oh, shit. So I just have to turn these things into either uh, a ride, a death trap, a death trap ride. Uh, the one, the ones that cat, the, I, I had the Castle of the Frost Kings, it's called. So I'm like, fuck that. It's three frost giants that are dressed as Santa Claus, Father Christmas, and Saint Nicholas. And I thought that you guys were going to have the snowball fight with them, but you, 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 you decided against it, which I was glad because I was like, there's no way you're short resting. In, I mean, uh, long resting in Christmas land. So your asses are going to get creamed by man, dude. What was neat about that map was that it made me want to look in every building. And for yeah. me, who is an impatient player, that does not happen often. 
Yeah, because it gave all of those. I didn't have to come up with the names of the places. They already had them called like Mr. Max's Mold Cider Shop and all these things. So I, all I had to do was just throw something in it. So I had a lot of fun. Uh, it was it was very much like my style, which was kit bashing in a way. So I took something yeah. that existed, but then I guess I I played around with it, and I just had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and I knew that the the party probably would too, which it so, seemed like they did. It seemed like so the did. rest of that stuff, like the, the like the little life payments, the um, which yeah. basically so so your currency was your hit points, and you would take. You basically, whenever you tried to go on a ride or try to buy like something, you would do take one d four damage to your permanent to your hit point yes. total. Soul money, I call. It. Yeah, soul money. So you did all that and came up with all those mechanics and all that, that stuff. That I came on your up own? with because I had the idea that Manx siphons the the like you know from the show and stuff. Like he obviously takes the life force of these kids as he's driving them to Crystalland, and then they in essence become his. Uh, yeah. And his power. And there's a whole mythos that Joe Hill has created. You know, I would definitely go check it out. It's really cool. Anyway, but I was like, oh, that would be a cool way to make this feel real deadly now. Because the minute you start losing maximum hit point totals, yeah. everyone wakes the fuck up very quickly. But I didn't want to make it something where it's like, you know, like, for instance, Thorn, when we fought the clay golems and they blast you for like, you know, whatever, 2d8 off your, like, uh, your max hit. Like, that's a big one. So it was just this little, this little thing. But then you would get something for it a lot of times. You might get resistance to the cold that was affecting you. Maybe you got, you guys went into the toy shop, and Bonnie's character just started buying presents for everyone using her hit points. Uh, <laughs> but then I, like, I, I, let them, I let them roll randomly on a magic item tail just to see what came up, you know. So, yeah, the soul money thing was a, was a, my general idea of how I how I did the mechanic. And what about, like, so you had something for every building. Like, did you come up with that no, on the fly? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> so I, I, had, I had almost every building. And then as you guys are going, like, I want to go to the black sleds. And I'm looking on the map, and I go, like, how did I not fucking see that? Oh my God. Um, okay. My jump on and this happens. The majority, 95% of that, I had something that was there. Uh, mm. Some things I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to make it anything because there's like 27 things on the map. This thing's going to take three nights to go through because I knew that you guys were going to want to jump on this one and this one and this one and this one. <laughs> so uh, I had to try to make it a one shot. So some things like the prison of uh, misfit toys, uh, wicked toys that actually was nothing i had nothing so i just shut it up you know <laughs> yeah, so, so the, elf was, underground? the elf underground i actually had an idea um but i didn't want you guys to get too lost in something down there that then all of a sudden it's 10 o'clock and you've yeah. only gone through uh, you know one part of the of the amusement park in a way right as as you went through Action Park, as you, so any Jersey residents or anybody, go check out the Netflix documentary Class Action Park. It's phenomenal, all about an amusement park in North Jersey from back in the day that would probably kill you and actually did kill some. No, people. no, it, it killed one or two. Not probably. It is slim chance to kill you. Yeah, it was always uh, you were always taking your life in your hands. So as we went to the different to the different amusements and stuff, did you want us to check out more, or did you feel like, or were you worried we were going to kind of take too much time? No, I was uh, I was I tried to have the intro be enough to build the the why of it, and I built it into like we'll probably go into this later on down the road when we review Curse of Strahd, but I built like the megaliths, the standing stones in my 
in Maestron, I've built to do a certain thing. And I know that the writers uh, specifically say in the book, it's kind of this open door to allow the DM to play with that, play with whatever the mythos you want to do. So I've turned it into something and I tied that into how you're getting to Christmas land because you're in Barovia. So now I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, and you get transported. Wait, we can't transport out of Barovia. Right. It would break all the continuity of like the the prison that you're currently in. But I had this way that we we, you know, to and it it built back into the mythos of Barovia and how it works and what's happening with Strahd and, and these dark powers that are that are at play. Yeah. So I had a I had an idea of. All right. And now it's like, you know, 730. You guys are in Christmas land. So I let you play for the next two, two and a half hours. And I just kept a look at the clock and I was like, when is Max going to show up? You know, and you guys had time to go do whatever. But I was keeping for this game. I was keeping a, a pretty hard eye on the clock to get a sense of, OK, now we need to get into the climax battle. Because even at that, I think we didn't get done until like a quarter of 12. Yeah. So it was a long session. Well, it, it ended perfectly the right time. And I, I was wondering how you did that. So it wasn't, we weren't triggering Manx. Like Manx was basically when you were, Manx was there for when you were ready to put us in, in the end game. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Whenever I wanted him to show up, he rolls through the front gates and then you guys are going to go after him because the whole time you're like, we need to go and get Manx. And everyone's like, you can't, he's going to show up whenever he wants, you know? So yeah, I had an idea as to when end game is going to happen. And I've actually taken that from Tony uh, because he has that way of running his game. And he runs every single session that way, where I think he literally has this, oh, he's looking at the clock and he goes, this is when I need to hit this. This is when I need to hit this. And he has a little wiggle room, but he keeps on it. And I've seen Matt Mercer do the same. He hits these because he has two hour windows that he needs to hit stuff in. And you can't just happen to just end on this perfect note every time. You've planned some of that. So I was kind of trying to, to play it in that way. Yeah, Amber has to be out at a very specific time for work. So I have to be sensitive to the fact that, like, what if we ever were in a situation where we have to cut it in the middle of a battle or something like that? Because yeah. you don't want to you know, build all this stuff up and, like, and all these things happen. I'm like, ah, we'll send it to you an email. I can. Or worse yet, your starting point of your next game is at the, in the middle of a climatic battle. That yeah. it, it really does. It, it really disrupts the momentum that sound like John Baden of what you're doing. And going back to our what episode uh, episode ago or two episodes, we talked about theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. I took that from, from you as well, Thorne. You ran the Christmas game theater of the mind until the end scene. Cause it was a big climactic battle. Yeah. So you, there's a lot of moving parts. I did the same thing. There was one map I built beyond the splash art for Christmas land. And then the map, I had the final battle map, the end, everything else I was able to run. And it definitely made it run quicker yeah. because people weren't stuck in that map um, mentality. And that was, you know, we've talked, if you've listened to the past few episodes, we've talked a lot about kind of how my game had kind of bogged down to where we were only getting through like really one hard fight per, per session. So, and that was causing some problems. So one of the adjustments we made, and we did this with the Christmas game was I told the players, look, I'm, we're going to go, you know, when we have a big battle, I'll put on a map, but we're going to, I'm going to do a lot more theater of the mind before this reason. Because, you know, building the maps and setting it up, it leads to slower battles. Um, it also leads to longer battle prep. So, like, in the Christmas game, I did, I think I gave you guys three encounters. 
one encounter was well, well there was a, some there were some investigative things that were kind of encounter they weren't really encounters but you know they were kind of okay it's a little bit like actually a little bit like a Call of Cthulhu game where you have them show up and they got to find some clues so so elves had been abducted by Krampuses the party shows up and finds some clues they have to track the clues they use the clues to 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 get the trail to where the elves were taken and then. They they catch a Krampus. They hear a Krampus in the woods around them. He's actually beating a bag with an elf in it, and and they go and they go fight that Krampus. That's a it's not a hard fight actually, but it's enough of a fight for them to understand the Krampuses that they're running into. Then halfway along the way, they had been given new clothes, so the Yule Cat shows up because a couple of the party they were given new clothes that gave them warmth against the elements, but the new but they all had bells on them and they jingled. <laughs> So the scout party member was work, was walking out in front not wearing any of her new clothes because she was sneaking, and the Yule Cat came and tried to abduct her and eat her. So that was a Yule cat. cat. Yeah, that was fun. I was worried that was going to kind of strike an off note because the Yule Cat kind of warps in. It has invisibility and stuff, and it's just a little bit of a tough thing to hit, but everyone seemed to like it. And then there were some – they threw some some sleet storms at you guys, the Krampuses did, but then, like, for the final battle was, you know, there was a, there was a huge frosty out and Krampuses with it. And the party, that, there we put out a battle map, and the party went about it as the real tactical encounter. But, you know, we did three encounters, plus some other stuff, plus some plus a good deal of role play, because the party met Mr. and met Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus, and they got hot chocolate, and they got candy canes, and they all did things for them. And at the end, after the beat frosty, Santa shows back up, and he gives them their Christmas gifts. And that felt like a good night. You know, it's like, okay, you get warped into, into Santa's village. You meet Santa Claus. He's going to ask you to hang out. The, the setup was basically with the stuff the party's been doing, one of the powers that be said, yo, please take a break and go and go enjoy a Christmas feast with my friend Christus, Christoph Kringle, Kringus, effectively Santa Claus. <laughs> and the, they go, they show up for what's going to be effectively his, his, his holiday party for his elves. But, oh, it turns out the elves have all been abducted. They go into, so, so the party spends some time with Santa Claus. They talk, a little bit of lore exchanged. Then they go after chasing the elves, a little bit of investigation, a little bit of tracking. They have like the three the three combat encounters along the way, which some could have been avoided. And actually there was I had set it up for the party to do different things. Like at one point the elves tell the party to go back and talk to Santa. Santa might have given them had they gone back to Santa Santa would have talked to them and told them what to do and given them more items. So there was different like things I knew the party might do that I was ready for. But they they stayed on the path. They went straight ahead. Three, two, two kind of mid encounters. One slightly trappy thing where I had to go through some sleet storms, which wasn't really that big a deal other than it added flavor. That you know, as you're coming close to where Frosty is, you're getting buffeted by sleet by by the spell sleet storm, which isn't damaging. And then yeah, then they had to fight Frosty. Yeah, you know, it, it felt it felt like it ran well. You know, by using theater of the mind for everything except the Frosty. There was a map for the for the inn where Santa was. But, like, we didn't fight there, so players didn't waste a lot of time there. That kind of moves into one of my uh, New Year's resolutions that I'm doing for gaming, which is going to be less maps but not less visuals. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like honestly, Roll20, and Dave, you guys will back me up, when you get you purchase material from there, it's very detailed, the modules. Like, every – I'm going to an outhouse. I know how many squares are in here. You don't need it. Like, if I'm doing 10 different map transitions, I would have 10 different map transitions. I'd have 10 different battle maps set up. And as a DM with prep, it's exhausting. That's yeah. not where you want to burn your energy on, honestly. I, you want to focus yeah. on other Tone, I agree. Right. Because the Strahd, we've talked about this before, when you I purchased the mod, and I open it up, and every map is there already set, already gridded. Or it's, per, it's perfect. All I need to do is plug and play. 
But for instance, last night when I had the final battle map, I had to go find a map and then I had to adjust it. And then I had to add some stuff to it. And I, so there was, there was a good amount of prep work for one map. So when you're doing like Thorin is the, a homebrewed setting for it, it absolutely is a level of time above and beyond, you know? Uh, and you don't, as we've seen, you don't necessarily need it for everything. There are times to throw it out, but there are a lot of times where it's not, it's not needed. And I, I agree, Tone. I think I'm going to probably, uh, I'm going to dial back a little bit. I'm going to, it's going to be a little bit of a back and forth, depending, you know, on what the situation recalls for. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's definitely been one of my, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about was what did you learn in 2020? And for me, one of the things I really learned was that, you know, when we were playing in person and the players were putting out maps because they wanted to have a map of the combat, like, cause that was often how it would work. I didn't come to the table with a map. One of the players, Scott, who we've talked about a lot, he might have he brought he would bring terrain with him to put on the table for maps, and then I wound up bringing I wound up bringing uh, uh, minis with me because I have a ton of minis from older editions to put on the map, but it still went quicker. Like players didn't agonize over everything when we were in person because you can kind of tell well this isn't such a big deal encounter. Okay, we can mop these guys up and move on. And the players are kind of managing that. And if I don't really feel like engaging with the map, I'm just telling them what's going on. And if they want to mark it that way, fine. You know, that's a different and quicker experience than the roll 20 experience has been. Whereas the DM I'm trying to make battle maps for like everything we're doing. And as soon as you put minis on the table in roll 20, everything slows down. And sometimes that's worth it for a big climactic battle. You want that. Mm. And for, if you were going to have a very tactical challenge or a very movement focused challenge, maybe you want it. But like for just a random encounter of okay, you guys, you guys capture the Krampus in the in the clearing, and now you're going to go attack him. Just tell me what you're doing. I'll tell you what's happening. You know, like that is a really in roll twenty. Don't put every map on. Don't put every fight on a battle map. Is one of my big takeaways. And then yeah, I mean, I've actually used some visuals with like the elf, what the elf tree village you guys were in. I will pull in visuals when I have something cool like that to illustrate, and maybe I could pull in some more. But I don't want to get stuck. That stuff takes longer to find than I would like to admit. You know what I mean? Like finding the perfect visual for the elven tree, for the Feywild tree city I had in mind was not a two minute Google search. Yeah, it kind of depends. Mm. Sometimes you find it right away and other times you're sitting there searching and searching and searching for splash art. And, you know, I know that actually even from like from my editing work, because you go often you're always finding art for stuff you're editing. Uh, even if you have like even if you're getting stock art from like iStock where you have the account and you have access to it finding the right image takes can take half an hour. Like it's not hard for that to take too long because finding the right image is hard. You know, it's yeah. finding the it right. Can be, yeah. So Tony, how, I mean, you said you're doing more of that. Like how have you been finding the images to show? Uh, a lot of Google searches. If I'm doing things that I feel are more meaningful, I like to throw a uh, image up on the roll 20, you know, whiteboard. And I think that's nice. And that's not too bad unless you're going for something that's very specific. Uh, yeah. Like, for example, when I was doing that one episode where you were in the um, frost giant lair, trying to find that the image, there was this one being called the everlasting one that I wanted to introduce there. Finding a image for him that I liked, it took me a while. Yeah. You know, and that's just one character. So that can really just keep at, like, adding, you know, to the bottom line of your time total of what it takes you to put together this production that you're essentially putting together yourself. 
And, you know, there's a gamble here, too. We should we should probably look at more closely. Once you put an image up of what something looks like, that image matters more than every word you say. Yeah. And that's the kind of the problem. You can't say it looks kind of like this and describe it differently and expect the players to remember anything you said. Because you put up ah. an image, that's what it looks like to them. Period. Every nothing you you know, you know they say nothing you say after butt matters. Nothing you say after the image matters. That's what it looks like. It's very true. It solidifies that image forever now. So so you need to kind of balance that. Like I found there are images I found of some of the like I found an image of Frosty. I showed the I showed the party. I think I found an image of the Yule Cat. I showed the no, I described it. I described it based on the image. I didn't actually find an image I loved. I found an image of the Krampus. I showed the party. And those things, but they were like at least like there were a lot of there's a lot of evil Frosty images out there. There's a lot of Krampus <laughs> yeah. images out there. There wasn't as much of the Yule Cat, but I still had some to pick from if I really wanted to. So like you had some options there for some of this other stuff like. A, a, a frost giant undying one i think there's like one image from the book that appears in and that's like it if that's yeah, not from, what you want to show what is it morning canons i think and that's that's the one you see you know that that's the thing too like so when you guys walk into the castle of the frost kings and i got the three frost giants there i can say three frost giants and then i describe what they are looking like and every single one of you saw santa claus father christmas and saint nicholas you would have seen it maybe in your own way but good luck finding Frost Giant dressed as fucking Santa. <laughs> like, I did it. I tried to see if they existed. They didn't. So I just said, screw it. I'm just going to describe these guys, you know? And that's that's I, back to the theory I of the month. I struggled finding good art for my Troll King. Yeah. That should be super rare. Right. And then I got one. I took a character from the Soul Reaver series who's actually a vampire. And I'm like, he's a troll. And then my guys are like, <laughs> oh, my God, they're inching to the freaking, they're backing up to the door when I talk Screw to Screw this guy. Yeah, and he's like, I have information. And they're like, oh, no, 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 that's fine, buddy. I'm just going to use the bathroom. And then they all it run took us like five. It took us five or six more sessions to decide to finally go back and talk to him. <laughs> okay, to be fair, he, he did look scary. But, I mean, hey, he's a troll king, you know, who I can connect with. When you see that, that guy sitting on the throne. Well, and I think, I think troll king... From any gaming point of view, I think of Troll King generally someone I don't want to mess with, right? Or I'm, I'm looking to—he's looking to kill me, and I'm looking to kill him. Plus, I would say trolls have not exactly been friendly in Tony's games. Actually, well, Dave's had some very good luck with them. No, I mean that's the thing. Like to Thorne, you always say you're teaching your players, and Tony yeah. has been teaching us. He's like, do not read these things as what they look like. Do not judge a book by its cover. Do not True. prejudge or assume things based off species, race looks whatever and he's been doing it again and again and again um so that yeah there you go yeah. so you know and we are slowly learning it as he hammers it through a seven inches of our meatheads obviously because <laughs> well, we can't pick up a fucking when you're running an overly complicated plot you're always desperate to find <laughs> some actors no, no a lot of this lands on us i'm sorry any <laughs> campaign where you have to put in the mechanic where go buy a fucking clue because you can't pick it out then that's on the players in my opinion i think I'm not sure what we're supposed to do to find those clues, though. Search every inch of every giant stronghold with no I motivation. It, I think it was more about asking the right questions of certain uh, NPCs, I think. It's that, and also it is a very open-world effect. Like, that game actually is very similar to Dave's game in a lot of ways. Now, I added you finding the, uh, the items of power to find in my game. That was my homebrew. But otherwise, you're basically searching the map, and you're like, like around chapter three and chapter four, it's like, you can go out and explore. And I'm like, why would they just 
just head south for like 60 miles. They're like, I hate there's a town down there. We can go check it out. Maybe there's a mine. I'm like, no, screw that. It's like 30 below down there. <laughs> That's a good, uh, that is actually a good uh, point, Tone, because I've seen that a lot and people talk about, oh, well, you can do anything, go anywhere. And, stuff. and you're like, well, yes, but there are some level of limits to that because players aren't just going to be like, well, let me just go visit some random town. It would be like it, like you're you're in your current day and age, and you're just like, you know what? I'm just gonna go down to Louisville, Kentucky. I just think that there's something there. There there's a balance to be found between. Uh, we talk about it, the sandbox versus the rails. There is a balance to be found as to helping the players understand some of the the choices, some of the plot points. It doesn't mean that things are shut off from you, but an idea of where can you move the football forward, as Tony says? Yeah. Now, on the flip side, though, I do think, you know, if you think about in your real world, like if you were asked to do one of these things, what would you do? You know, if you were asked to go find a way to get to, to, to get rid of this, you know, evil creature, what would you do? And then I think the players think through, OK, I want to take these steps. And these are the things I think will help me get there. And the play, and then the DM lets them go down the roads they want to go down and decides what they find there and either pushes them in another direction or helps lead them along further down that direction. I think that's really what you're talking about. If you have, if, if it's an open world where the players don't, don't want to embrace any of the goals in the campaign and want to make their own thing. And they also don't have any goals. Like, because you, if the players have a different goal, if the player's goal is like, look, I want to overthrow the king and become king, well, maybe you can make that a thing. There's still other stuff going on in the campaign world that's going to impact sure. them, and maybe it's going to blow up in their faces. But, you know, I want the, even if when it's an open world, I want there to be some goal directing what, I want I want the players to choose a goal. You know, because from there, you can build stuff around what they find. If you don't have that, and they're just like, well, what's on this island? Well, then, you know, you're better off playing Skyrim. Really? I mean, no, I, gonna... I agree with that. But what I'm saying with Tone, like what he was saying, like chapter three and four, and you're going over the whole globe. What I've seen from a lot of a lot of tables I've run for and played at is that that's awesome. And I like that the designers and writers put that in there and give that sense of this openness. But there are limits to that because people are not necessarily aware that, oh, well, let me just go check out this kingdom down south and see what's what, you know, maybe that yeah. has to do with the, you know, so there are limits to that. And that's hard to sometimes manage. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be hesitant, like, I want to go check out this village in the south. How about a kingdom? Like, yeah. that's a much more, like, you're really committing to that at a much grander scale. You need some you, real motivation to go there. This is something that I, I feel like, in my like in my experience, that the, the Call of Cthulhu type games handle maybe a little bit better, which is you kind of know, so... Actually, I forgot one of the games I was playing in before uh, COVID was yeah. a Call of Cthulhu game. It opened up the entire world. So you get a quest from somebody. Like you kind of, you're, you're first drawn to a place where you investigate a gentleman had died. He's asked you to come, his his daughter has asked you to come find out more about her father's death because it was ruled like a suicide. It wouldn't have been that. You start finding out about cold activity. And then they give you, a, they, they, she gives you her dad's airplane and pilot to fly you anywhere you want to go in the world. So at that point, the Earth opens up. You know, 1932 Earth is open to you. But as you're as you're researching things, you get clues. Okay, some stuff happened in California. Some stuff happened in you know in, in down south. Some stuff happened out in uh, out in Iraq at these at these archaeological digs. Um, and like you get a, you get the world, but you get the okay. Well, here's where the things that are important to this case happened. 
how do you want to proceed? So you got to think about, okay, well, we want to go down there. I want to check the library. I want to go to like, and then as you say, like, okay, where can I research? Then the, the GM starts feeding you stuff like, well, there's the University of California library had some stuff on this. Um, there's some arcane occult booksellers and it all kind of can lead back to each other. Like if you go to the bookseller and he doesn't have anything, he might say, yeah, but you might find that at the, at the university library. You send oh. them back to the university library. There's this whole way of doing an investigative campaign that is truly open, but the players have a thing they want to do. So they're trying to figure out where do we need to go to figure this out? And you slowly through their actions, bring them to that thing. And I think that's a fun way to play because it's open world, but you know, you're guided by something, you know, if they're yeah. just wandering, wandering isn't really, well, it can be fun, a different kind of game, I guess, but not generally fun for most groups. What do you remember most? What, what out of your RPG or your, your role-playing game playing in 2020, do you remember the most? Hmm. Oh, lots and lots of things. Yeah. A, a, a lot <laughs> of things went down. I think some of the holiday games were really uh, stood out there and um, were at the top. I remember fighting the mechanical Kraken. The clockwork cracking was fun. Yeah, not in the book, guys. That's not even a spoiler. <laughs> no, that's okay. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. I remember having the showdown. I remember having to talk the giants away from destroying the town of uh, the first town we came across. Brinchadar. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, yeah, that was the first town. That wasn't Nightstone. But when you guys yeah. got to Brinchadar, you talked to – Dave did in a great cinematic moment where he – like the one female um, Fortran captain like, picked him up and she's like yelling at him. He's like, ah! <laughs> he did it. And your character was like, we can take him. And my character's like counting on his fingers like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Bruh. Yeah, Bruh, no. Yeah. Jag is always calculating how they can, how he can win the battle. And I remember, I mean, it was a lot of fun also uh, burning down old Bone Grinder. That's on my list, too. That's on my list. Because of the everything that surrounded it. Because it, you guys were just coming into, you were just starting to kind of come into your power. As yeah. players a little bit, but you were definitely not at a point where, um, you know, that was still going to be a, a, a an interesting hard fight. And I, uh, yeah, it went down really cool the way it, it went. And then you guys, it was, a, it was a nice mix of combat and also skulking around and hiding. Like, you know, it was a good mix of things we did during that. The yeah, whole, whole yeah, thing. Absolutely. It was not just let's, let's trade blows. It was a, it was a whole thing. Yeah. Dave's Halloween game was especially memorable. We started playing on Mischief Knife. It ran into actual Halloween morning. We were on this this high. Uh, it wasn't quite a mountain, but it was a really it was like it was raised hill. There was a lightning storm. There was oh, a whole yeah, ton of was, monsters. Yeah, the Halloween game was like the. It, they were at Yester Hill for anyone yeah. that's uh, and they were they were trying to stop the ritual down at Yester Hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, that was neat. That was a very fitting, solid holiday game. I didn't get to play much in Thorin's games this 2020. I liked the first one we played. We did play, have a late holiday game um, in the beginning of this year. It was kind of like overlapping, if that makes sense, where um, we found – was that the game we found the deck of many things, or was yeah. that in – that, that, that was 2019. So the game, the first game we found the deck of many things. But I mean, it's, I think there's, people are very on the fence about, did they, I don't think it's like, I feel like I had the deck of many things incident under control, but some of the players bailed on it. And then of course COVID came and I just, you know, ruined everything for that game. 
How could a deck of many things ruin anything? I asked. Oh, I will say that's one of the things that I've definitely been learning, though. Like I said, as I've been working out in, in D&D, running it more and more and more and having a lot of players who uh, who challenge me with that, you know, uh, especially you two. Um, <laughs> no, in a good way though, because challenged. Uh, like the, the, the other DMs are the other DMs are always going to challenge. I mean, that's kind of like yeah, the, yeah DM, exactly. the DM is the PC is always. But I like it because I was I remember during Slavers Bay, um, I was I was starting to to struggle with the power creep and how you how you appropriately challenge the players. To a point, you know, and I was really starting to kind of struggle with that. And I was like, I don't know where exactly I'm going to take this as they level up harder and harder. Right. So with the Strahd campaign, I got a whole different sense and then playing a lot as well and seeing how even when you're very powerful, there's still some some hard limits that things can yeah. go south. Uh, but that's why I like last night when I handed out the gifts, uh, some of those are are, you know, pretty hefty items. And I was like. I don't think I'm going to have a, I, I think I can still, you know, not have that completely like make it on easy mode for them. So I definitely have learned that and I've enjoyed that. And I will say these are the first holiday games I've ever played or run while doing D&D. So that was kind of awesome for 2020. Yeah. I, I got to do so many of them. Glad we could introduce you to the concept. Oh, no, but yeah. It's really, it really is something special it really does it, it like tony said it does give you a sense because you get to play with all of the weird myths and 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 that and and make it into your own little hodgepodge now i didn't do one of the things i often do in holiday games which is there's a lot of ways to do a holiday game in this one we kind of brought the characters into the to another world and had them experience something in a slightly different world than where they're from and at the end they got gifts that was kind of the formula we used Sometimes I'll do a holiday game where the gifts are given out in the beginning and the gifts are actually hyper powerful things for the party. Right. So if you have a if you have a party of like fifth to 10th level adventurers and you give them all legendary level items and maybe you give them something that gives them access to like your spellcasters get access to a ninth level spell if they were during the adventure, you let them play with their level 20 stuff at level like five. And you and then you give them some overpowered Satan Claus type of monster they're fighting. That can be a lot of fun too. You know, yeah, it's kind of giving them a it's a gift in another way. It's a gift of today you're gonna to get to play with your level twenty stuff and all these epic things that you wouldn't be able to get to until the very end of the campaign. So that could be another way to approach it and kind of be a neat gift. It is, but I have to tell you from doing both, I like our current formula. I <laughs> think that current holiday Christmas formula is rock solid. You have a lighthearted game. You go down, you do some holiday-related stuff, you throw in some monsters that really don't exist, like evil snowmen, or something that affect make a theme. There's a lot of different angles and stories and tropes you can all explore, and then you give them something a little cooler than they normally would get yeah. in your world. And that, 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 everybody walks away happy. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, the problem I had, and I think I covered this in a previous podcast, in 4th edition, I got my level 29 stuff, and I'm like, this isn't that great! I'm in the wrong character class. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That that did happen a little bit. I gave everyone their their max like 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 magic items at max level for their characters, and it wasn't necessarily groundbreaking. But that was. I think I also gave everyone access to the level twenty ability. And I'm not taking blame for this. I think the problem here is in fourth edition. Oh yeah, fourth no, edition didn't get didn't get cool enough as it went up in level. <laughs> like I'm sorry if you gave me Merlin's wand to use for a game. I should be kicking a lot of ass. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So what about any other any other lessons you learned from 2020? Any DMing um, lessons? Here's a definite one. If I'm starting another game over, I'm taking Dave's approach. I'm doing the same session zero style that he covered. Um, I love the way he handled that. He's like, guys, boom, here's five different modules. What are you interested in? Let me know. Yeah, I think, you know, I I, I don't know if I would go exactly that direction, but I've already made up my mind that my next game, we are going to do a session zero, and it's at least going to be the I want the characters to come in and tell me what are they as a group? How do they know each other? We're going to start off. You already know each other and you tell me how Absolutely. and you tell me what you want to do. Like, so, yeah, I don't know. There might be a choice of things to do. It might be a choice of worlds to game in, but I want the party to help me to find what are they as a party. No, that's absolutely that's yeah. absolutely good because session zero needs to happen in some way, and that's depending on your DM style. For you, Thorin, you have said on every single occasion that the re what you do is you get an idea of like, oh, I want to play that world. Yeah. I want to I want to see what happens when people start fucking around with this world, this idea, and that's awesome. So what you would like what you're saying is. You just have to have the people get into agreement as to what we're doing. Yeah. But for me, I don't necessarily have one idea that I really want to play. I just like running it. But I have certain things that I would be into running. So I totally took Colville's idea of pitching the campaign. And I throw a couple out there because now everyone knows that you're in Ravenloft. So there you go. Right. But what's great about that is we've all been in this situation where we've all pitched an idea and – Everyone came together previously. We'd be like, all right, let's talk together. We'll characters and we'll play. You know, no one asks questions. They just show up. They've got their popcorn. <laughs> they got their die bag. You know, we're, we're ready to play. You know, and... Not only do they not ask questions, I found players really wanted to make up their character. They wanted to make their characters on their own to the point where they weren't super happy that I said, look, wait till you get together to roll the dice. Like players wanted to make their characters completely on their own. And I think I want to I want to get everyone together for character creation next time and have them make their characters together. Like you're not strangers to each other. Because you remember we ran into this with the when we when we brought the uh, when we brought the other game back together, Tony, where mm. some of the new characters who came in for the last adventure you didn't like. You were like, why would my character play with these guys? Yeah, that's just something. One of my observations. I think that uh, really helps you know that if you're putting the investment forward, it's going in the right direction. Uh, that also comes across with my one of my other resolutions, which is better table communication, which I think we really pounded over this year, but it yeah. is very valuable because even if a plot line seems extremely simple in your head, it doesn't mean that another plot line that isn't super clear or one or two different players' heads, and they're not going to say anything. I've definitely realized I need to get better at dropping clues in the moment and making sure things are clear. Like that has not been. There have definitely been times when there's other when there are things implied by what's going on that the party's not catching not catching, or there are options the party's not thinking of. And I think I need to. One of the lessons I've learned is I really need to get better about suggesting certain things or saying, "Hey, you know, you could do this in this situation. This comes to your character's mind, or you make an insight roll, and here's something you think might be an option." That kind of thing I think would be is something I want to do more of because sometimes I feel like my players are getting lost because they're not seeing the same op some of the options I'm seeing. Well, on the other hand, I'm like, I don't want to tell them what to do because I want them to do their thing. And the problem is they're not seeing options. They're just seeing, okay, I got to fight this thing. And I'm like, well, I can think of 20 things you can do here that I'm trying to account for. Which one are you going to pick? 
and the players aren't seeing it like that. The players are seeing it like, well, God, mm. we got to fight this monster now. And it's like, it's, it's, it's by not provide, by not trying to force their hand, I'm actually making them think I'm forcing their hand and getting better at that is something I want to work on definitely for next year. Well, speaking of that, Thorne, especially, uh, and it kind of ties in with the Christmas game too, is that, you know, we obviously have covered a little bit of the, some of the things that came up with the Woodstock game uh, and the miscommunications and all of that, right? Which is kind of what you're referring to. And um, I thought that it was great because uh, everyone started to see how, oh, well, maybe the way I see something is not the whole story to something. Mm -hmm. There's he says, she said, and the truth, right? But, you know, by times seven, right? <laughs> times seven people. Mm -hmm. uh, so the holiday game, I thought was an awesome palate cleanser. I thought it was a way yeah. that we all came back in and had fun and remembered, you know, what the fun stuff about D&D &D is. And then at the end of the game, you said, well, where would you like Santa to take you in his sleigh? And we went, we wanted to go back, which was kind of a, a thought of ours anyway. But the, a lot of the other players felt like it wasn't an option, even though it totally was in your world, right? Mm. But they didn't feel that way. So they said, we want to go to Brother Morton's, uh, Sir Morton's Paladin Order to see if maybe we can, like, tell them about it, reinforce the troops, whatever, who knows? And what does Santa do? It, the, the end scene is the sleigh is coming in and jingling and jangling, and we're on top of uh, the, the Brother Morton's Order of Bahama. And I thought that was awesome, you know, because then it gave... It was lighthearted and fun and a palate cleanser. It was what it reminded everyone of what can be fun about D&D. &D. And um, it then moved the story in a direction that gave the players back, not just the gifts that Sam gave them, but the gift of the player agency again. Mm -hmm. And a feeling like, oh, okay, no, yeah, let's do this. You know, so, so I thought that that was great. Um, I also, something I learned this year was, how much I really enjoy the adventures that Watsi has published. So I'm sorry. That's <laughs> nice. just where it is. I feel like I'm just going to run all of them. Uh, so there you go. So, you know, choose whatever one you guys want to do next. And that's what well, we'll be running. Well, we've got to be coming up on the end of Curse of Strahd fairly soon, don't we? Just just by just by PC, just by character level. It's, com like, it's coming. Says so you. You're going to end it soon. <laughs> you guys have no, I mean, Stra so Strahd takes you up to around 10th, 11th level, right? Yeah. Like most of the mods do. They don't run a whole campaign. So I have thoughts about where the party kind of goes after that, and I've set some things uh, into play. But with that said, too, there might be a little bit of a break where we go and do something else, you know, or, or run a different game. And we'll see, you know. I kind of like that as well, you know, where it doesn't have to be you have to run till 20 immediately in consecutive order maybe you come back for season two you know down the road now storm king ends right around there as well and i've thrown that completely out of the window <laughs> i've kind of honestly and i've thrown so much out of that, that poor module i feel like i've abused it um i have an idea what the ending i know what the ending was i know what the ending is going to be and where where i'm going to create the material in between yeah okay that's the extent of the spoilers you're getting on that but okay one of my other resolutions for this year is going to be I'm going to make a point to be a player in more games because I have really learned that one of the things I've learned the most from, uh, besides from talking with you gentlemen, is actually playing in other games and observing because I've definitely learned in every one of those scenarios. Oh, yeah. God, yes. God, it definitely, yes. It, it definitely helps to play. 
I mean, because you get you get kind of you get kind of shoehorned into the role of forever DM, which you know none of us really mind. I don't think, but being able to play the game and see it from the other angle and see what someone else's take on DMing really does open open up what you're thinking of and what's possible. And we talked about it before, even like you know Tony, stuff times when you took over DMing for me and my other campaigns were like. I'm like, damn, well, I really got to pick up this aspect of what I'm doing. Look what he's doing there. You know, I got I got to make some changes here. Well, well I we mean, were just saying today that we uh, had gone back and forth with, oh, I pulled that from you and I pulled that from you and I put it into into the game in this way. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's really uh, like martial arts. You take something out of a style, you like it in your own fighting and you steal it. I mean, that, that's just <laughs> the way to go. Um, I think Thorne does the best improv and open world concept. That's his thing. Uh, Dave, you're the best actor out of the DMs. No <laughs> question. There's, there's games where I'm like, is his back getting tired from carrying this? Get this, guy, this guy's some Advil. Um, some honorable mentions. I think uh, Chris, Dave's brother, um, his Marvel game is just super fun. It's like being at a comic book if it was, it was written by uh, both Stan Lee and Mel Brooks. Because we have that all humor aspect while being epic and i think that's what a good uh comic uh type story needs and another honorable mention is for amber who actually performed the musical number in one of her games and that's not for everybody but it's certainly <laughs> memorable and it was for a christmas game nonetheless with uh with what you said earlier though about uh tony like playing a lot is uh is absolutely true and thorn we say it all the time you know as authors as well like Great authors are great readers. Mm. If you are not out there seeing how other people do the craft, you are going to get a tunnel vision because you only see things in a certain way. You only have your frame of reference. By seeing what other people are doing, it, it absolutely it doesn't mean you have to mimic them, but you're going to see something that you like. And I say this, too. I know there's a lot of pushback for it out there in the community, but I think that the level of live play stuff that they are streaming now is valuable for that very reason, because it gives you access to not just your friends who DM or the guy down at the game store, it gives you access to everybody. And it gives you access to people who are doing it at a pretty high fucking level. Um, so I liken it to watching professional sports. I'm not gonna run like Aaron Jones, but I can see how he might, you know, juke in the right way that opens daylight, right? So. Mm. so you know, one of the things for me, not, I like to, I definitely want to play more. Well, actually, I wouldn't say play more because I feel like six games in a four-week span for me felt like, okay, this is pushing. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were playing, you know, one and a half games a week and uh, and doing this podcast and editing this podcast and promoting this podcast and writing about this podcast and interacting with the audience, and you know, which is all great and a lot of fun. And it, it just did turn into like, I'm like, well, I'm trying to fit some other you know, paying jobs in here. <laughs> it's getting, so... Yo, I like to play about, I think one game a week is perfect for me. Yeah. Like one game a week. Like if you play like every Friday night, you play a different game. Great. I do want to play other systems beyond D and D. Uh, I've played a ton of second edition. I, we played a ton of fourth. Um, you know, we played a lot of fifth. We're playing a lot of fifth right now. I would like to get a, like a little call Cthulhu going, mm. take something in a totally different direction. Because what I found is when you're playing like Marvel face rip, when you're playing call Cthulhu, you learn things that aren't even really on the radar in a D and D centric mm. campaign group. You know, Absolutely. like I was like, like DMing call of Cthulhu is much more about, well, how do you find the information you need to figure this out than it is about rolling dice? You have to roll dice too, but it's, 
a different kind of thing. And it's more about, you know, it's not combat centric because oftentimes if you're in combat, eh, you're probably going to die. <laughs> Com- combat is hyper deadly. And if it's against some, if it's against a monster, it's not only hyper deadly, it's hyper sanity draining. So you're liable to die or go insane. So it's a different kind of gaming experience. Marvel face rip. Chris is doing a great job with that. And I do, you know, I, I, I like the, I like the concept. It's kind of this kind of lighthearted cosmic Marvel universe, like the kind of the acid trippy stuff they did in the seventies, which is great. Seventies and eighties kind of stuff, guardians of the galaxy kind of stuff. Um, and it's super fast. We're getting through like, we're getting through like three, four encounter games in under four hours in that. It's really cool. Um, yeah. I think it was even shorter. This last game, the, the, like the, the pseudo holiday game that he ran, I think we were done in like we did the whole session in like two and a half, three hours. And you know, yeah, no, he, and it felt complete. Yeah, I know? didn't feel at all like it was short. Like I was like, that's done. That, like that felt like a five hour game of one of the Watsi game, one of the one of the D and D games in like like just a little more than half the time. Yeah. Like I'm that that was really cool. And I was like, because I have found sometimes like when we're playing games and we're getting past hour about five, I often feel like we were done at hour five and everything mm-hmm. after that is like, all right. Wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, right. There's another climactic encounter. No, no, that was only the mini boss. Here's the big, <laughs> here's the big boss. Like, I told my, I was like, we have dinner out there. I said we were going to be done in a few minutes. Like, I'm just finding like eight hour games are nice sometimes on special occasions, but most of the time, four to five hours as a player or a DM is where that's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's also, good. Also, totally different uh, on the virtual tabletop. If you're yeah. in person, an eight-hour game feels like nothing, right? It can, uh, but, it can, on, yeah. you know, a six-hour game online, that will start to drag. Well, here's a tip for that. And this is something I've learned from being on both sides of this. If I run a short game, but we accomplish what we're looking to do, and or we get a decent reward, I'm good. I don't care how short it was. Like, Matt's brother ran a short game, but we got it done. We got everything done. We got a decent reward. The reward was fantastic at the end. I'm like, I'm good. But if you play an eight-hour game, get crap XP, crap mm. items, and don't move the plot, you're like, good God, you're like drained. Yeah, it's it's definitely a balancing act, and it's uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I think you know, it, it's even though if I do feel like we got good stuff and move the plot, there's once we start getting past hour four, like past hour four or five, if we're rolling in like a new like a new big encounter. I'm like, uh, you know, okay. Like I do fine for me. I'm starting to get to the end of kind of where I want to be sitting in front of roll 20. Yeah. But you guys, you know, we've had a year. This is uh Tony. First time I've, DM- I've, I've been in a game where you've DM fifth edition Dave, First time I've really had you DMing. Well, I mean, if we count last the games that started last year, that are kind of on hiatus for the moment at all. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. You guys, and you guys both do, you know, you, you, you both have real strengths as, as dungeon masters. Yeah. I agree with the, I'll second what Tony said there, Dave, that you're just, you know, very, you know, you, you're, you're really good at the acting part of it, at the, at the kind of the role play part of it, coming up with new characters in very creative settings. What I like about Slaver's Bay, what I like better about Slaver's Bay than I do about Curse of Strahd is I think it's more creative. Mm. You know, Curse of Strahd is a classic, but Slaver's Bay has got more interesting things going on in it to me, whereas Curse of Strahd kind of feels kind of flat and gray, which is, you know, it's supposed to be. It's Barovia. And That's how also, I think Strahd feels like the old movies, the classic movies, right? But Slaver's Bay feels like this modern, you know, of the times D&D adventure, right? Where Curse of Strahd mm. belongs in classic D&D era, right? 
I Maybe. almost wish they had shortened Curse of Strahd up more. Like the original Curse of Strahd, the, the original it's literally just Castle Ravenloft. Yeah, the oh, original yeah, no, Castle Raven. Yeah, it's a couple of nights of gaming. You can do it in a night. Like it, yeah. it can be done in, in a, as a one shot, which is kind of what it's meant as. And Strahd works well as a monster movie. As a whole setting, it's a little thin because yeah. you don't have a whole lot of room anyway. Well, you know, Strahd. Well, uh, Strahd. Yeah, that was really. I had the original, the original module in my hands, and that was yeah. very much my cut Strahd. What do you yes. mean? That, I, I have the. I do have the Ravenloft box set. No, this is before yeah, that. No, this because the Ravenloft box set is a set. Weiss and Hickman, um, I six module Ravenloft that started the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this, all these things exploded out of there. Now there was a lot of material. Like if Dave really wanted to flesh out details, he's got them. They ran Ravenloft like the Islands of Terror. Like there's all types of different lands surrounding Barovia that you could introduce a, a whole mess of other characters and even politics in there as the other yeah. lords are struggling for power. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been running it very much the way uh, Perkins kind of wrote the book. But yeah, uh, Tony, there's one guy that I listen to, runs a, a channel called Lunchbox Heroes, but he does a whole Curse of Strahd thing. He's got some really cool ideas about how to how to shift some things just to make them a little more interesting. And I've used some of that. He's made the point that depending on some of the, the novels that they've written, like I Strahd and, these, and the box set and all of this stuff, you could make Ravenloft be... Barovia could literally be as small as like a town, you know, and as large as Chicago. And it can <laughs> it can go that whole well route uh, depending on what you want to run. So Ravenloft could be its own setting. But, you know, I'm just we've just been kind of running the adventure like Thorin. You had said it's like, you know, you got to see the classic movies that are there. You got to see The Godfather. You got to see Goodfellas. You're like they, you just have to see these because they're there. Right. They're part of the so culture. So I haven't seen Curse of Strahd from the DM side, not the fifth edition one. Right. I will say the second edition box set, it was it was Ravenloft, the Demi Plains of Dread. Yeah. So it had it had Castle Strahd, it had Strahd, but then it had all these other Demi Plains that other evil people were controlling and trapped in. And there were a lot more overarching mechanics that to me made it a more interesting campaign setting. Mm. Like I'm really enjoying Curse of Strahd. Like, I mean, you're doing a great job DMing it. It's a good game. We have a good group. But mm -hmm. it is like, I do kind of feel like, okay, so there's still stuff to see, but I don't really feel like the setting's developing anymore. Unless there's totally new things we haven't seen yet. Like, even meeting, even like meeting the uh, Dragon Knights was yeah. like, okay, these are more people who want stuff done in the area, and then we go to <laughs> Strahd. You know, it kind of it kind of feels like that. Like Everything points towards the center. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, it's like, look, we're here to kill Strahd. That's what we came to do. I, I would not disagree with you. They're no, definitely we not had dinner yet. We and looking at um, looking at the module in that way, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. It's much more um, the key word for me, the key concept, which I think I can reveal at this point because it, it makes sense now. Uh, but what I understood, so anyone who's running Strahd, what you need to understand is go look up the picture of Universal Monsters. And that is what you are playing. You are getting to play against <laughs> Dracula and Frankenstein and write the Wolfman, and all you're getting to play in this world, this gothic horror world of the 1930s and 40s and 50s uh, universal classic monster movies that we grew up with. So in essence, that's the that's the adventure in a way, right? It's a playground of monster movies in a way, you know? So we'll see by the end of it. It definitely is a good group, which definitely makes it more, but yes, there is a level of 
Okay, we're talking to these people. Oh well, we got to go kill Strahd, I guess. We're talking to these. People. I guess we got to kill Strahd. We're talking, and we got to kill. Strahd. Yeah. So there definitely is that. It's like it's like it's like it's an algorithm, right? Okay, meet new people. Are they trying to kill us? Yes or no? Yes. No. Are they trying to kill you now? Yes or no? Yes. It's like it's that flowchart of the cleric and whether you got cast inflict wounds or not, right? And then, and then it's you know if it's if it's double nose then it's okay. It's like if it's double nose, okay, go kill. They have, you have to go kill Strahd to save them. Like <laughs> it's like who am I killing? Am I killing yeah. someone right now, or are oh, they save, urging me on to go kill Strahd soon? Oh, save save the people of Loki so you can go kill Strahd. That's a really wild thing. Difference between that and the Marvel game because in the classic Marvel game it's super anti killing. Yeah. So. In your Ravenloft game, there's some bad guys. We bust in there. We stabbed them to death. Like, well, all right. Job well done. Now we're like, Ugh. oh, my God, Thor, Technocrat fired a laser blast. What are you, nuts? <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I – so the, the the character I'm playing in that Marvel game is a wealthy technical engineer. He's, a, he's like an Iron Man type character and i was like all right so he has resources so i just threw a whole bunch of weapons his resources could afford onto a suit of armor he's got rocket launchers he's got grenades he's got a laser rifle he's got a machine gun and the number one thing i threw i threw it in as like a secondary okay maybe i need to knock someone out was a stun rifle and that is my most useful weapon <laughs> hands down from across the room bang he's not dead yet <laughs> yeah because your algorithm for the technocrat is uh you know is this person human Okay, well then I can't kill him. Is this person a robot? Okay, I can shoot him with whatever I want. Is he right? <laughs> well, there's, there's, at some point selfies with them after they're passed out. Yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the 16 year old hurricane uh, guy. We, we do have some very cool characters in that. Yeah. So in the other game, the Tony, in your game, Storm King's Thunder, it's funny because you keep saying how Storm King's Thunder is not the book module. Oh. It, it do definitely does feel like it doesn't feel like it's really kind of. It feels like a wide open world. Maybe the airship helps with that, and the fact that we don't actually have mist enclosing us in Barovia. <laughs> Claustrophobia <laughs> is part of the Barovian experience, right? If you don't feel like you're like you're trapped in a bubble, it's probably not being run right. But yeah. Storm King's Thunder is like, it, it got confusing for a while, because it definitely seems like there's a way to do that where it's just, okay, I go get kill one giant king, and I go to the ordning, and we go see what happens. That's but, basically... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, but we're but yeah, we're by we're exploring the world, we're meeting the giants. It's wide open. We have Elios. We're getting stuff. We're building out our ship. We have a we have a gummy ship. Come on, it's basically it's basically the gummy ship <laughs> Kingdom from Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is what we're flying in essentially. <laughs> uh, but it's really cool in that way. And I think you know, Tony, one of the things you do really well is definitely you know, well, you're you're a good actor as a DM. You keep things moving. You have interesting encounters. You keep it moving fast. And you just those little kind of pops around the world of, well, here's a special thing here. Here's a special thing there. Here's 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 these little gifts I'm giving you. I don't mind if you break it. Now, granted, when we come back and roll something later, we sometimes hear about it. Like that stuff does add, it kind of adds that kind of wildness to the adventure. Well, one of the things I've also learned is, and this could be wildly disagreed by uh, either you gentlemen or anybody in our audience, is that this system certain ability scores I can give rewards on very safely without without rocking the boat, really. Like, for, um, I mean, prime wrecks you got to be careful with. But, like, for example, I'm giving my Barbarian, oh, I'll give you a, a reward that's good, but it's not, like, a super high-end reward. Well, I'll, I'll boost. What do you, what's good for you? Wisdom, your charisma? Okay, boom. There you go. I gave you a point of that. Normally, that's impossible. So it is a good reward. 
But what does that really mean in the context of the game? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really like, oh my God, I have a better charisma check. Like you guys really think I'm stealing the show. Well, I like that. I like, and that's been the, the philosophy of Storm King's Thunder this whole time. I do think in the end, you, that you haven't used a lot of our intelligences, which might be smart because I do think you kind of come back to in the later levels, a lot of those monsters have like one of the ways you challenge high level PCs is you attack the stat they're not good in. You, you attack the saving throw that's still only a plus three and they don't have proficiency in it or plus one with no proficiency. So you're going to have you finding those windows. You think you're are you afraid of closing those windows for yourself? Not at all. And I'll tell you why, because you could have a high stat and it only matters to a point if you don't have proficiency in it for the saving mm -hmm. throws. Like, That's for true. example, Hawk got slammed in, Thor in uh, Dave's game last night. Yes. He's got actually he's got 16 wisdom. He is a plus three. He's next to a freaking paladin who gives me a plus three. I've got a luck stone. So, I mean, I've got bonuses, but then your roll tanks. Yeah. Yeah. And when, and yeah, and that's awesome. So the, the barbarian is a beast uh, who's flipping literal cars over. Uh, and then the vampire charms him, you know, now I didn't give him a game over, man. I didn't give him additional requests, but you know, that's when the party can shit its pants is when the ultra tank now is barreling down on you. Right. You know, so can you do that? That's a good question because it's 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 funny the the vampire charm ability and I would say most people go check this out and read it because it's it leaves a lot of open room uh, because of the way it's worded. Um, also, whether or not it, if it's concentration or not, because it doesn't seem to be it's almost like the vampire could literally just keep charming everyone over and over again. Uh, and I find that to be a little bit bullshit, personally. Traditionally, the answer, like in previous editions, they absolutely could have. Right. Like I, don't, I don't necessarily mean it's it's wrong, but I just look at it and I'm like, well, that just seems a little bit like that's going to well, turn real unfun. Very. I'm going to throw it out there. Charm is not a concentration spell. Charm right. lasts for an hour with no concentration. Right. But my, my feel on that is because at that point, you are now charmed by the vampire for 24 hours. The end. You yeah. fail. You're under their spell till the end. So Fun, you know. funny story. Um, so you did that to me and I blew my save and I'm on the map. I'm like, you're going to have to command me because my first move, if I was playing him on his side, is I was going to murder Shannon. She was right in front of me. And I'm like, well, if I've changed teams and Here we go. Hollywood Hulk Hogan now. Dude, I you would... Yeah, you would literally hit her once and she would have been down, dude. That was like And I would have started moving through the other squishier party members. I would have gone after the cleric. I mean, and it would have been Yeah, but now whether or not that it's a good it's an interesting uh philosophical argument, whether or not because of the way in which it's worded, that would make you now if attack people that you know is interesting. I don't know. That's that's really And that's uh, that's the thing is I don't because the way it reads is that you treat the person who has you charmed as a trusted friend. Right. But you have other trusted friends. You also so like, have other trusted friends. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. However, I, so and this is one of those things where it's like, well, would the players go with this? But in the in the tradition of Dracula, Dracula yeah. does charm somebody. He makes them in. He, he makes yeah. them, you know, in the words He's of Xander wrong. when he met him, his bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the words of Xander, when he when when he was the Dracula's Renfield in that Buffy episode, 
Dracula made him his bitch. That yeah. was the thing. Like, like, so that is kind of part of the way Dracula traditionally works is that yeah. he does, he shows up, he corners a character, he turns the character to his team, he slowly pulls that character further in, and you do have now someone who is not on the team anymore. And could a, could a vampire charm a whole party and, like, just run away and avoid a fight? Absolutely. Like, that's traditionally how a vampire kind of works. Yeah. Can you do that in 5th edition and have your players consider it a fun encounter? Exactly. Me, that's a huge question. It's that balance between. So we'll see where this goes in later later editions. But yeah, uh, but well, yeah the, no, it's a, it was a, but yeah, being able to take that barbarian out of the no, fight actually, even for a little I'm gonna, bit was I have to tell you, I don't think it, it, you're correct. It makes him a trusted friend. So now I'm not attacking him. Right. True. It does not say I hate my current friends. Right. So it's not no, a real clean mental. It could absolutely control. fall into the the realm of saying, oh well, but like, why are you guys fighting? And like, in essence, you become a little bit of a shield for the character as well, possibly. Like you, would you, probably, could, you would probably try to break them up. It's probably like like looking at the wording of the role and thinking about how you feel about the rest of the party. You would probably start grabbing our party members and kind of putting holes on them to restrain them from attacking Dracula. Right. Or from attacking Strahd or attacking Charlie Max. That's what I would probably yeah. expect, you know, uh, with the wording. I don't wouldn't yeah. expect you I wouldn't expect Hawk to start like killing his party members, but grabbing them so they can't hurt his other friend. Yeah. That's probably yeah. what you do. That's legit. Yeah. That's, that's uh, which then takes two guns out of the fight against Charlie Max. Yeah, I mean, obviously that will probably be happening in Ravenloft. I'm, I'm gonna get the shades <laughs> pulled this so he can't charm me. First thing we get, uh, first thing we gotta learn when we get back together with that group is okay, how can we protect ourselves better from charm? <laughs> this especially, is the number one goal. Especially as you see Hawk now reading his uh so uh for the audience, he uh Hawk's Christmas gift this year was the uh Arnold Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding, which was the way I made the manual of gainful exercise which is going to now give him in a week's time a 22 strength yeah now, now that natural no juice, go above 20 does it uh with magical items it can you can't go above 20 with like your natural abilities no i don't I th I think with a magical item there's nothing i mean if you I, if i take a uh you know if i have a 20 strength that i rolled out right with my bonuses and everything and then i get uh you know uh, potion of stone giant strength. I'm gonna have a stone giant strength. Stone giant strength is different. Some of the things that boost your ability scores permanently won't take it above 20. Don't worry. But Hulk. you know what? Manual game game <laughs> exercise doesn't say that, does it? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think magical items can that are the way in which you you sidestep that stuff. Well, some do, some don't. The it's natural limits. Of, yeah, the natural yeah. limits of the of the human or the or this whatever. You know, well, the and what I'm saying is, there are many magic items that can give you a boost that don't go above twenty. They they will say just like just like feats do. Yeah, like it, you know, it, yeah, yeah. I thought the manuals did that, but yeah, I can see now they don't. Interesting, interesting. I almost gave one of these out as one of the Christmas gifts, actually. Ooh. Someone had asked for something. I think it was actually you know what it was. Little one had asked for something to help her understand if she wants to be good or evil, which was. By oh, far the hardest gift yeah. to figure out. You give her a wisdom uh, book? I thought about giving her the wisdom book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I gave her so, so what I gave her instead was the Iune Stone of Wisdom. Uh, the Iune the Stone of Insight, I think it's called. And it does boost her wisdom, but it also talks back to her like a girlfriend. So she could she could talk to it and she could talk to it as a girlfriend to like get advice on what to do in these <laughs> situations. So I did both. I boosted her wisdom and gave her a, and gave her a friendly sounding board ear. To, to, it's, it's, it's like the Iron Stone of You Go Girl. Now, how I'm going to play that <laughs> remains to be seen, because clearly, I'm not going. I don't have the voice of a You Go Girl. 
So I don't know how I'm going to do this. Thorne's going to be watching a lot of Sex in the City. God damn it. <laughs> that is not D &D. what I planned. D&D &D research. D&D &D research, honey. It's uh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're going off a little bit here. I think, why don't we hit real quick, final thoughts, and what are your 2021 gaming resolutions? Well, uh, final thoughts, I'm going to... Uh, appreciate the uh players and dms of long ago more i have uh, goofed on them relentlessly throughout the year and uh i just want to say that some of these moments were truly epic and hilarious and not always for great reasons but you know that those are one snapshot from their entire this entire run um i have some honorable mentions uh, like the fiasco with my father's sword, the shield of the earth, and the time Bam up the King of Dragons told my party to go fuck themselves. <laughs> How did we not? Okay, okay, we didn't quite get to that. Maybe the next episode. I don't know. Do we come back for another crazy, you know, or wild adventure stories? I don't know. Maybe, uh, in, in a future episode, maybe a future article. What about your? Uh, is that is that your resolution? Uh, resolution, as I said throughout the game, um, I'm looking to use more of a section zero, like we talked about, uh, less maps, and but just the same amount of visuals, communication at the table, and being a player more in other games, so I can see everybody's perspective and keep learning. As someone looking to start another game, I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> about you, Dave? Boom. I, uh, yeah, I'll piggyback on Tony's one. I like all of those, and I just want to continue to... Because being back in gaming, like, pretty much full-time at this point um, yeah, right. is is really awesome. It, it definitely brings a lot with it. And I want to continue that uh, because we talk about it all the time, the soft skills that playing and running D&D, &D, being part of this hobby, the, the soft skills it builds, I, I, I don't think you can put a measure on. Uh, we talked with Bonnie the one episode about uh, her use of D&D in therapy and how that's growing. I hear about it each week. It's phenomenal. By the way, uh, Anubis did listen to the uh, episode. He loved it. He said, I want to be on the episode. When do, when do we want, when do they want me on? I'll talk about anything. Uh, she was like, I don't think that's going to happen, but I'll tell them. I love that. And I just want to keep trying new things. I like that each time I'm sitting down, I'm trying something different, you know, things I might learn from you guys, things I might see out there, things of my own creation. But, uh, yeah, I just want to keep uh, keep in it. I'm, I'm enjoying being part of this community and I am enjoying all of you. Thank you for uh, listening to this and really making this something that isn't just us sitting around once a week talking about D&D, &D, but something that's hopefully adding to the community and adding to the discussion. So thank you. So any uh, any other resolutions for the year? No, I think that that's good. Aside from uh, continuing to play every single adventure path that Watsi has produced. So that <laughs> select ones. I will go with select ones. Maybe we'll do a poll. What one will Dave play next? <laughs> People can vote on it. Um, that's a good one. All right. So for me, uh, you know, final thoughts, you know, it's been a really interesting year, you know, getting this, you know, all these new games, getting this, you know, getting this podcast up and going, interacting with the community. Uh, you know, thank you all. Like they were saying, thank you all for, for coming along with us, for listening, for supporting us. You know, we would love to talk more about the, th about the kinds of things you need answers to at your table. So please, any questions you have, any problems you have, send them our way. They've been the, they've really been the basis of several episodes over the past couple months. And we plan to do more that's answering your questions in the future i you know i've learned a ton 
about you know, DMing and different approaches to DMing over the course of the year. My big resolution is to play more non-D&D games, which I actually was doing more of in 2019. And then with 2020, all of our Roll20 stuff has been, has been D&D focused. So I don't even, it's not even so much I want to go back to like early D&D, although the OSR stuff is interesting. But I think I want to, I'd like to get a little bit of Call of Cthulhu going, you know, maybe some other things. Uh, we do have the Marvel Face Rift going. I think those are interesting. And I think playing other games lets you come back to D&D with new perspective. Tricky part, getting players who want to learn a new game because <laughs> there's always learning curve. But I feel like it's so valuable. Because you come at something and you come back into D&D and you're like, well, why did we do things this way? You're like, why did we think this had to work this way? You just come back with a new kind of perspective and new, often new DMing tricks you can bring to the table. Because like we were talking about, Call of Cthulhu teaches you a totally different way to interact with the world and to DM your world than most D&D games do. Most D&D games, very encounter focused, very much fight to fight to fight to the end of your module, the end of your adventure. Whereas Call of Cthulhu, it can be investigation, investigation to the end of your module, but you don't always know where that's going when you start that as players or DMs. And that's part of what makes it fun. And then other games you play teach you different other things. Some games are much more focused on role play. Uh, so I want to definitely, that's my big resolution is to play more other games and then bring it back to D and D. Cause I still think D and D probably going to be my core game. Now it's, it's, it's fun. It's a huge community. It's, it's, it's been my favorite over the years. So I can't see walking away from that. I think my other 2020 resolution is just keep, you know, keep keep trying to make this the best podcast it can be. Keep finding new new questions to answer for all of you out there, for our listeners. Keep finding new topics to cover. And who knows? Hopefully, if we start doing conventions again, we'd love to come out to some conventions. So Woo! maybe we'll get on the road a little bit if, if, if we're allowed to. <laughs> that would be awesome. Or even something local here. You know, the uh, there, there's some great there's some great ones, ones around Philadelphia, too. So we're that, talking guys, to you, Nerdarchy. We know you're right. in our area. Call us up. <laughs> I think Come we on, Nerd Chris, Dave. Call, I, them, call us I up. I think we can send them an email. I don't know. And who knows? I don't know if they'd be interested, but that's that <laughs> sort of thing is something I think we can definitely get involved. We'd like to get involved in more. And my, my 2021 resolution is to start taking this beyond just our own website and podcast and social and start trying to get us a little more involved in, uh, in the wider gaming community because it's out there. This is a huge community right now in 2020, and it's going to be bigger in 2021, especially after all of us spent so much of our of, of our 2020 quarantining, only <laughs> seeing friends in Roll20 or Albert Rodeo or whatever tabletop you're using. Yeah. So, guys, thanks a lot. Thank you for coming coming with me on this podcast journey throughout 2020 and, and for playing all these great games. It's been Absolutely. my pleasure. Yeah, this is a great time, guys. Let's keep it going. Absolutely. And for all you listening at home, thanks again for listening in to another episode of Three Wise DMs for, for being with us here for our kickoff year as we got through 2020 and about this is episode going to be episode 28, I believe. So Woo! we are past six months in. It's, it's growing strong and, and we really appreciate everyone's support. If you want to ask us a question, you can send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com and drop us a line through the What's Your Problem field. The Three Wise DMs website also has twice as much content as you'll find in just the podcast. We do an article every week as well, so go check that out. And you can reach us on Facebook and Twitter, both at Three Wise DMs, and we're very responsive on both of those channels. Thanks again for coming with us. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.